you guys can grab a seat. Uh, thanks, Matt. Thanks, Emily, for leading us in worship. Um, I don't know about you guys, but when uh, I see us as a church really getting after it and worship after the Lord, um, I'm one of those uh, emotional worshipers, like I cry a little bit. So if you see some tears in my eye, that's what it is. So um, a little embarrassing before I come up and speak in front of everyone. Go ahead and get that off my chest. But um, if we haven't met, my name is Kyle. I'm our community pastor here. I'm glad to be here back in the gym, getting back into our normal routine this morning. So um, even though it's freezing cold outside and we have trailer locks freezing and all kinds of crazy stuff, man. Um, it was fun to get back in here and set up with you guys. Um, but like Gabe said at the beginning, uh, we have this vision of this 10 and 10 um, by making disciples, 10 campuses in 10 years or 10 churches in 10 years. And that's so cool uh, just to be able to see uh, Gabe lay out that vision for us uh, that, uh, that God has given us as the staff and interns and elders. Uh, if you weren't with us last week when we were at the retreat center uh, up in Long Mountain, man, you guys missed out. It was, it was so much fun. Um, it was cool just to be able to hang out together as a staff and just get to know each other really well. Uh, but then also hear that great vision that the Lord's laid before us uh, as we gathered there on Sunday. But man, it was a ton of fun too, just being able to hang out and have a meal together. Um, you know, normally after we're finishing here on Sundays, we got to tear everything down and everybody rushes out to get food, but we were able to just sit and enjoy each other's company and have some really good food. Um, I mean, it was a ton of fun, even outside. Like, it was freezing cold out there still. Uh, like, the lake was frozen solid, like, I think three inches. Like, I know Will and Tozer had a lot of fun out on the, on the lake getting out there like they shouldn't, so maybe their parents didn't have as much fun uh, with that. But uh, it was a, it was a good, good time. Carlton taught us, um, we had a missional community training meeting afterwards. It was just a lot, of, a lot of fun just to be able to see what God's going to be doing this year. So uh, if you do not know what a missional community is, uh, I guarantee you there's probably someone sitting at the table with you um, that is either a leader of a missional community or they are a part of a missional community. So if you're in one, guys, you know how much missional communities mean to you. Uh, you know, uh, the relationships that you build, the laughs that you have, uh, how it's growing you in your discipleship of Jesus. So uh, chances are how you got plugged into a missional community was through a personal invite. Someone didn't recognize you, someone reached out to you, and someone personally invited you. So uh, what someone's done for you, let's do that for, for someone else as well. So if you see someone, go ahead and make that personal invite. Invite them into your mission community. Invite them into your life. Uh, invite them into these DNAs that we'll be talking about. They're going to be launching here in February. Um, but more on that to come. But if you don't get that personal invite, uh, at the connection table right here on the way out, Carlton's going to be standing there. Man, he's going to give you all the information you need to know how to get plugged in to a missional community. So these missional communities are, are the lifeblood of really what we do. But if you've heard me communicate before, um, as we're diving back into Luke, we're going to get back into Luke 12. We're going to be in 35 through 48 in our time together this morning. So if you want to go ahead and be flipping there. But like Gabe said, this is not changing the vision of what we're doing. It's just really putting it on paper and refining. We're still, we still exist for God's glory, by God's glory, to make disciples, equipping them to know, believe, and obey uh, Jesus as a gospel-centered community living on mission. So that's not changing. If you want to know more about that, check out some of the podcasts. We've got really great sermons on what all of that actually tangibly means. Uh, but every time I speak, if you've heard me, I like to lay before us um, exactly what we're here to do this morning. What we're here to do this morning is to grow in our discipleship of Jesus. We're here to know Jesus, believe Jesus, and obey Jesus. So uh, we are here to know Jesus by his word. So we pick up this Bible, we read what he has to say about himself, what he has to say about us, and based on what we know about Jesus, what he says, we believe him, 
We believe what he says, what he's done on the cross for us. We believe he says who we are, and we can't help but respond this morning. So tangibly in a Sunday gathering, this is only a third of what we do. Those missional communities in DNA are the other two-thirds, but tangibly that response this morning looks like we can't help but worship. We can't help but tithe. We can't help but take part in communion. That is the natural response, as natural as breathing. And because of what we know and believe, we can't help but obey. And how we obey tangibly this morning, it's not a have to, it's a we get to. It's not out of obligation, but it's out of love for what Jesus has already done for us. And that just looks like loving and serving one another. So as we dive into Luke this morning, uh, just keep that in mind. Let's see what Jesus wants us to know about himself, what he wants us to believe, and what he wants us to obey this morning. So picking up Luke 12 will be 35 through 48. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. Verse 39, but know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would have not left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over the household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all of his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of the servant will come on a day when he does not know and does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him into pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know what was deserved and the one who did not know and did what was deserved of beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom was much given of him much will be required. And for him whom much they entrusted, much more where they demand the more. So God, we're, we're here this morning um, to know you. Um, so Father, uh, as we come as your church and we gather, um, it's our hearts cry that uh, you would come and be with us this morning as you already are um, able to sit back and just seek and savor you. Um, that God, as we're studying your word Um, we know that you send it forth and it's going to accomplish the purpose for which you sent it. So Father, uh, we're we're longing to hear what you have to say to us as your church. So Father, we love you and we thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So have you guys ever wondering, ever wondered what God was thinking when he created some animals? You know what I'm talking about? Like, I know he's perfect. I know he creates animals and it's, it's great, but like, what was he thinking when he made the possum, right? Like the possum, like, was he thinking, man, I'm going to make this giant, evil, hissing rat. 
right? That it's only going to come at come out at night. Like that is the stuff of nightmares, right there, right? So I I, I live uh, kind of off the beaten trail. My wife and I can in the trees, uh, off in the woods a little bit. Uh, so some of you guys have been to my house know that. But uh, I have this possum that comes up on my back porch all the time, right? And it's fine. Like he can come up on my back porch all he wants. He can come up there. We've got nice cushy chairs. He can sit on. He can have a little possum party out there. It's fine. But dude, stop getting in my trash. Like, so yeah, right? It's, it's one of the most annoying things on the face of the planet. Um, because, it, so we live off in the beaten path, so they don't come off. And I can't just like put my trash in a trash can and they haul it off. Uh, I have to haul it off. So this is something I know I should just be doing daily. Um, but I just don't have that discipline to say, okay, well, I, I don't want it to stay in the house. I don't want it to smell up. And, but I don't want to put it in the back of my car. I don't want it to get leak. Uh, you don't want it to leak out everywhere. Uh, so I, inevitably, I put it on the back porch. And every single time I do, that possum gets into it. And it's like, I can sit up at night like a crazy man. I've done this and wait and try to watch to see if he comes out there. Never shows up. He only shows up. It's like he's waiting in the woods. He's like waiting to see if I come out there. But he always comes at the most unexpected time. And I kid you not, like, it just, he gets in it, it gets all over the backyard, it blows everywhere, then it rains and gets nasty, then stuff blows off in the briar patch and I have to pick it out. But like, I don't think it's just him. I think there's more than one, I don't know what you call more than one, it's like a school of possums or like a a flock of possums. It's like a a legion of possums. I have a, I have an evil legion of possums that come up on my back porch. So like, I, this is probably what? I don't know, my wife's sitting back there. I think it was probably two months ago or something like that, maybe a little bit longer. Um, it was, I heard this rustling in the middle of the night, and I'm like, I know what, that's it, him, it's him. So I jump out of bed, grab my shotgun from underneath my bed, run to the back porch, whip it up in the door, and boom! It's one of the most redneck things I've ever done in my entire life. <laughs> like, took a huge chunk out of my deck. Um, well, I say that's, yeah, <laughs> that's probably not the most redneck thing I've done, like, Probably the most redneck thing I've done was like I strung him up afterwards as a warning to his friends. Like that's the most redneck thing I've done. So, uh, so that's a funny story, right? Like how I have this crazy evil possum that gets in my trash. Like truth of the matter is like if I would just be disciplined and actually do things I know that I really should do, like just I go into town every day. If I would just take my trash, put it in the back of my car and take it in town every day, I wouldn't have to worry about this, right? It, my life, it, things would actually go much better for me. So that's a, that's a funny story, but I, I, I would argue that Jesus is making that same argument in the text this morning, that there are certain things that he has given to us, certain spiritual disciplines like readiness that he's given to us for our good in his glory. I'll say that again. I would argue that, that Jesus is saying in this text, there are certain things that he's given us, certain spiritual disciplines like this text, readiness, that he's given to us for our good in his glory. So um, before we dive into the text to see if that's actually what Jesus is saying this morning, uh, I want to be on the same page before we move forward. Uh, So when we talk about that phrase, spiritual discipline, right? Um, Because I I want us to have the correct lenses to look at this text. I I don't want us to hold spiritual discipline in too high regard and make it something that it's really not. Uh, But I also don't want to simply just cast it off to the side and uh, think that this is something we're not supposed to do because it's clearly commanded of us in scripture. So um, when we talk about spiritual discipline, by no means uh, are we talking about this idea of legalism. So if you've been in this church for, I don't know, maybe five minutes, your spiritual antennas are probably shooting up right now um, because there's this prevailing culture that we fight so hard against, even on our own hearts as our staff and elders, uh, but also it's really prevailing, especially in the South, of this idea of legalism. If you're not familiar with it, it's this idea that we can do 
good things, even God-asked things, uh, that somehow by doing them, that it will change God's perspective of us, that somehow his perspective of us, that somehow he will look at us as, as better or that we'll have more favor or even to this crazy idea that we can do so much stuff to actually help in our own salvation. Uh, by no means are we saying that whatsoever. Uh, salvation for us is completely over here and these spiritual disciplines are completely, as far as the East from the West, salvation is always by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, to his glory alone. That, that is what we hold dear. Um, so I just want to make sure that we are on the same page when we talk about those things. Um, so spiritual disciplines, when we talk about them, like this idea of readiness, they're all over scripture, things that God has commanded us to do. So when we talk about a good definition of a disciple, what we believe a disciple here to be, a disciple is someone who knows, believes, and obeys Jesus. So this last section is really where we're honing on in on this morning, this obey, because we know him, because we believe him, because he's already saved us, there are things that he has asked us to do. So some of these things like uh, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Uh, so that's prayer is a good thing that we should do. It's a God-given thing, but by no means is it saving us. So readiness is kind of one of those things. Um, Paul does have another quote here. Uh, I think we're familiar with the first half of this. I know we'll have this on the screen here for us in Ephesians 2. Um, we're familiar with the first two verses, but maybe not so much the 10th the, the verse here. It says this, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For grace, for by grace have you been saved through faith. So it's always, that's this is the salvation. Uh, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no man can boast. And this is where we're getting into this idea of, of these spiritual disciplines, these works that he's created for us. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So salvation is already ours through Christ, through what he's done. But now we have these things, these spiritual disciplines, these good works that he has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And this is that idea of readiness. So uh, with that definition, I, not to be overkill, but uh, there's a, a great uh, pastor and theologian uh, of our day that I really respect that has um, a quote on this idea of legalism and spiritual discipline. So before we dive in the text, just to make sure that we're crystal clear before we go in what we're talking about, John Piper has this quote. Spiritual discipline. We are not in a thousand years in danger of becoming legalists through spiritual discipline in the American evangelical meet-my-need cushy Christianity. In fact, I think that the kind of legalism that is creeping in today is virtually the opposite of spiritual discipline. So these, these ideas, as long as we're on the same page, completely opposite ideas. So this is what we're talking about, this idea of readiness as we're diving into the text. So don't let that just be me. Don't let that just be John Piper. Uh, I can twist words however I really want. That's why we always go to scripture uh, and, and check to see if uh, what someone is saying is actually biblical truth. So uh, as we're diving back into Luke 12 there, um, we need a little bit of context because it's been a little bit since we've been in Luke. So if you remember all the way back to Thanksgiving, uh, Gabe taught a sermon on a, the rich young ruler uh, that Jesus pointed out that he had was being greedy with his possessions. So this young man interrupts Jesus' sermon uh, about inheritance dispute. He's really just being greedy with his possessions. And the last time we were in Luke, we were able to see because of that, Jesus tells his disciples, because of that greedy and that possessions, don't be anxious about your possessions. Don't be anxious about even your lack of possessions. So full context as we're diving here is don't be greedy about possessions. Don't be anxious about possessions, but be ready. So uh, with that in mind, let's dive into the text to see if the spiritual discipline of readiness is really for our good and God's glory. 
So we're going to pick up in verse 40, uh, actually not in verse 35. So uh, all you type errors in the room like me just had a minor heart attack. Uh, it'll be okay, I promise. Uh, all the creative people in the room, uh, this is going to be for you. It's going to be a beautiful uh, hodgepodge. We're going to be jumping around. I promise we're going to touch all 14 verses, uh, but we're going to jump around from a bit to bit here. Uh, those guys that know me are probably like, who are you and what have you done with Kyle? I'm so type A. Um, but so let's pick up in verse, verse 40 and let's dive into this text and see if this is really what Jesus is saying. So verse 40, you also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So let's pause. You saw, we see that word you twice. You also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So we see that word you. So our first question we should be asking this morning is, who is this you? Who is this you? Who is this you that Jesus is talking about? It's a really good question. Peter had the same question. Verse 41. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? So, Peter asked the same question, who is this parable for? Who is this idea of being ready for the spiritual discipline? And Jesus, in the most Jesus-like way, answers his question with a question. He says, who then is the faithful and wise manager? You can almost see that, that, that Jesus is getting Peter to think critically. He wants us to think critically this morning too. Who is the faithful and wise? You can almost see he's really doting on this guy. This guy's he's set over the entire household that he's given the, the, the food over the entire household out at the proper time. So who is this? So when, when I think of a faithful manager and set over someone's household, over a master's household, I can't help but think of Downton Abbey. Um, don't, don't hate. I've only seen, you don't take my main card just yet. I, I maybe you've only seen one episode or season. So um, it's really good. My wife got me hooked on it. So I think of this idea of Mr. Carson. He's the head butler of the house and Lord Grantham. Uh, so I'm certain thinking of how well they work together and how they always know exactly what the other person wants. Like the butler knows exactly what the master wants. He doesn't even have to really tell him. So I'm thinking about this when we talk about this manager and this master. So you saw how he's doing all the things that he wanted him to be doing. So the question we should be asking ourselves this morning is, is it possible is it possible that this master and this manager do not know each other? Is it possible that he can be doing all of these things correctly, he can be faithful and he can be wise and he can be giving out the allotted goods at the, at the right time? Is that possible? Absolutely not. There's no way. We see that there's already an intimacy there. We already see that there's a conformity there that the, that the manager is doing exactly what the master is asking him to do. So why is that distinction important when we're talking about this idea of readiness? Because we see that this, this, this manager is something what we would call already a disciple or a follower of Christ. Because he already knows what the manager wants. He knows him. He believes what he wants him to be doing. And we can see this obedience that he's doing. That's important because when we look at this text, we can see that this idea of readiness is not just a list of things that he's got to be doing. But it's, a, it's, a, it's an intimate relationship that they actually have. Now that's important because we can see that who this text is talking to and this idea of what that disciple actually looks like when this comes to the spiritual discipline, we can also see who this text is not talking to. So let's see who this text is not talking to. So we can clearly determine between who is what we would call a believer, a disciple, and who's not. So verse 40, uh, 45. 
But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour he does not know and will cut him into pieces and put him with the unfaithful. So we get to see that this man, this servant, knows the master, right? He knows who the master is, but he's, he's not being obedient or he's not believing really that it's important what the master is asking him to do and he's definitely not being obedient. We see that this man really doesn't know the master. He's not really in this relationship with the master. You can see he'd be close in proximity, but his heart really be far from him. Jesus would say it this way in, in, in Matthew 7. We'll have this up on the screen for you as well too. This idea that we can draw close in proximity, but not really be in a relationship. So Matthew 7, 22 through 23 will say this. Many will say on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name? Do we not cast out demons in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So this idea that we can draw close and we can do all the right things, right? The Pharisees did this amazing. They knew the law. They did all the right things, but their heart was genuinely far from them. That's why they were not really close to the Father. They were not in that relationship. So when we see this idea of this, this servant who is actually not serving the master, his heart's far from him, we think at times that idea of being cut into pieces is really, I mean, that's, that's tough, right? Like no one wants to come in this morning and talk about the wrath of God, but God is just in this, that you see that God is really giving to him really justice, that the man is, is accountable for what he knows, and we see this idea start to pop up. Um, Spurgeon has a quote on this that um, really, I think, is epitomizing what we're trying to say here this morning. So we'll go ahead and put this on the screen when it comes to the idea of the wrath of God. This is truly a terrible expression. We are sometimes charged with using too strong expressions with regard to the wrath to come. It is quite impossible that we should do so, even if we tried for the expressions of the Lord Jesus are more profoundly terrible than any which even medieval writers have ever been known to invent. But he is still God. So we get to see this idea of, uh, when we're talking about this idea of being ready, that this, this servant was not only not ready, but he was doing what he wanted to do. He was a worker of lawlessness going away from actually what the master wanted to do. So we can see it's not actually his obedience of following that thing, that w had him put aside with the unfaithful, it's actually the stature of his heart. And why that's important, because we get to see here in the last two verses here that there are two other servants that don't obey, but they're still what we would call believers. So we see this idea of being ready, these spiritual disciplines, it really has nothing to do with legalism. It really has nothing to do with the things that we are doing. It has to do with the stature of our heart. Verse 47, and that servant who knew his master's will so he was in proximity to the master, he knew the master, but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required, and from him whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. So these other two servants also didn't obey but Jesus is making this distinction is that they are actually close to him in heart. You see that that punishment was much less severe. They weren't put with the unfaithful. They were still believers. 
this is our story today, that there are things that we know that the Lord wants us to do, but we just don't always do them. doesn't mean we don't have a relationship with the Lord. It's not about what we do. It's about what we, who we are and who Christ has made us. They still believe the master, so he hasn't put them away and hasn't cut them into pieces, hasn't put them with the unfaithful. So why, why is all this important, these distinctions about this idea of being ready? Um, I, I, I want us to see who, who the faithful is and who the unfaithful are. It's not based on these works. So when we, we talk about that whom much was entrusted, much will be given, it, this idea of you're being accountable for what you know starts to pop up. You're being accountable for what you know. You, those things that you know, the things the Lord is asking you to do. So in this text, Jesus, we start all the way back at verse 35 here, and we get to see what this idea actually tangibly looks like, what Jesus is actually saying to them, what you need to do to be ready. What are some of the intentional things that Jesus are asking them to do? So we'll read here in verse 35. Stay dressed for action. So it's important that we know that this, this spiritual discipline of readiness is, is really for those who are already in relationship with the Father. They're already obeying. You see that word is stay. It doesn't say become dressed. It doesn't say get dressed. It says stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. It doesn't say go get a lamp. It doesn't say light a lamp. It says keep them burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he knocks. So uh, how many of you guys have ever been to a Jewish wedding? Can you show of hands? One? That's impressive. Like, I, I haven't been to one or two. So I would really love to go to one. Over the past couple of weeks, just studying about, he's talking about going off to a, a, a Jewish wedding. Like, man, there's so much symbolism that goes on here. And Jesus, like, if we don't know that, we're going to miss some of that cultural context here. So at any point that you could be coming back from, from this Jewish wedding, we see that he's, the first thing that he says is stay dressed for action. So this idea, if you see it in scripture and other places, sometimes it's translated in the Old Testament as gird up your loins. It's the idea that Jewish men would have tunics and cloaks and that would be really cumbersome if they were about to do something. They needed to work or needed to do something. So they'd take it and tie it between their legs and tie it around their waist so that way they were ready. So Jesus is saying the intentionality of this readiness that he's asking for the disciples to be is to be on guard. At any point, the, the master could be coming back. So gird up your loins. But then we start to get into some of this idea of the Jewish wedding, of this idea of keeping your lamps burning. So you see, like in a Jewish culture of Jesus' time, when a groom and a bride would get married, when they would be betrothed, that is, before they would get married, when they're engaged, um, the groom would take his groomsmen back to his father's house. He'd take back to his father's house and build on an addition to his father's house. It could take upwards to a year or two years, and the bride has no clue when he's coming back. So um, Sarah and Matt, uh, some of my favorite people here in the church, and I know I make them embarrassed anytime I talk about um, but they're getting married in April. So what if Matt for the past year or two years was having to go and build on addition to JoJo's house? Like, Sarah, you wanna sign up for that? You don't know when he's coming back? Didn't think so. So embarrassed her to death, I love you. Um, but this whole idea of keeping your lamps burning came from that idea because the bride would be waiting. She'd be eagerly expecting that groom to come back at any point. They have no clue when he's coming back. So she would have her bridesmaids keep lamps burning, symbolizing that at any point, even if he comes back in the middle of the night, that I'm ready, I'm looking forward, I'm expectant, I'm eager for your coming back. This idea of being ready was an intentional thing that they were doing. And, that, and oftentimes the groom would come back in the middle of the night just to see if she is ready. So 
Jewish culture was completely obsessed with this idea of, of this idea of being ready. Uh, I, I would argue that our culture is as well, right? Like, I don't think we very, we do this very well, but I think it's a romanticized idea. So what about movies? Anybody seen Pearl Harbor? See the idea of Pearl Harbor about this soldier named Rafe. He's going off to war and he uh, finds this nurse named Evelyn and she says, I'll wait for you. I'll wait for you. I'm going to write letters every single day. And he goes off to war. His plane gets shot down, icy cold waters. And he's thinking the only thing that keeping me alive is the thought of you. And while he's gone, she loses hope and she marries his best friend. Like, come on now. Like, dude is freezing the water, keeping alive. Like this idea of expectancy right? Our, this is on our culture, all the, all, you know, and other things too. Like, so think literature. So one of the best, I don't want to say best, uh, one of the most well-known uh, books of all time are Great Expectations. If you ever had to read that in school, I'm sorry, but like, it's this idea of this, uh, this, this woman who was jilted on her wedding day uh, to the point that she is stuck in this perpetual moment of waiting, hoping that her husband will come back. She's dressed in her wedding gown. She wears it every day. It's moth-eaten. She's sitting in a wheelchair. She's wheelchair-bound now, waiting so many years. Her wedding cake is still out on the table, hoping that it'll come back. It's getting uh, just decaying. She's waiting. Architecture says this for us. If you've been in any southern towns around the coast especially, if you see on top of old houses that are really cool, they have these things called widow walks. So they call widow walks because the, 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 the wives would go up on top of the houses and look out of the sea to see if their sailors were coming back to them. And so many times they wouldn't, they became known as widow walks. But their the idea of waiting, of expect, expectation. Even a funny one, music, right? We, we want to hold on. How many of you guys know that Blake Shelton song, Austin? And P.S., I'm not going to sing, that's Matt's job. And P.S., if this is Austin, I still love you. What kind of love that must be, holding on that long? We're, we're completely obsessed with this idea and culture, but the truth is that we really don't do that well, do we? Waiting is not something that we do well. Being in this idea of readiness is not something we do well, especially when it comes to the readiness of the coming of Christ, the second coming. Uh, if I'm being honest, like this sermon for me was something I completely believe that Christ will come again but just this idea of the gospel, not as only just something that saves us from our sins, that it's a present and a past, but it's also a future. It's hard to wrap my head around that one day that Christ will come back. It's hard for me to look that way. What about us? Like, are we actually ready? Are you actually ready for that second coming? Are you being expectant? Are you being patient and waiting? Are we more like Evelyn who goes and marries another instead of waiting? Questions to ask yourself, are we ready? Do we, do we plan that way? Do we plan our finances that way? Do we uh, ha- build relationships with that in mind? Do we treat our friends that way in that mind that at any moment that that groom could come back? And the answer is no. This is a difficult thing to do. That's why discipline, that word even means spiritual discipline, it's a tough thing to do. It's not easy But I don't want us to lose heart in that because the whole point of spiritual disciplines are to draw us into a deeper, more intimate relationship with the Father. 
I'll say that again. The whole point of every spiritual discipline, whatever it is you're doing, whether you're praying, whether you're journaling, whether whatever it is you're doing that are good God-given things that we saw from Ephesians 2, that we are created for good works, whatever these good things that we are doing, they're given to us, like we said, for our good. How are these things for our good? Dive back into the text here, the verses, and we'll fill in the gaps of where what we've missed. Verse 37. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are their servants. The second time we've seen blessed. Verse 43 Blessed again, third time we see blessed. Blessed is that servant whom the master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all of his possessions. The idea of setting us all over the possessions um, is really a footnote, but how cool is it when Jesus in this whole context is saying, don't be greedy about possessions, young rich man. Disciples, don't be anxious about your possessions, but I will set you all over, over my possessions. That sounds great, but the whole point of spiritual disciplines, did you guys see that? Did you see the whole point of spiritual discipline is that we get God. We do these things like prayer. We do these things like um, whatever it is that God has given you for a good work to do, journaling, uh, meditating on the word, whatever it is, praying without ceasing. Hebrews 10, 24 says to spurn one another towards brotherly love and good works. Romans 12, to outdo one another with brotherly honor. These things that we're given as disciples, we are not trying to earn the love of God. We already have that love. We already know him and believe what he has done, that he has lived the life that we couldn't, that he came and paid for our sins on the cross. And because of that, he calls us into obedience like these things. Why? Because we get him. We get him. Did you see that? Verse 37. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. He will come. He will come and serve us. The point of spiritual disciplines like readiness is not to earn a love that we already have. It's to draw us into deeper and deeper and deeper, more intimate, more seeking and more savoring love. I love this quote, Jonathan Edwards. We'll throw this up on the screen here for you. Um, What he has to say about this idea of spiritual disciplines, why we are to do them. Endeavor to promote spiritual appetites by laying yourself in the way of allurement. There is no such thing as excess in our taking of this spiritual food. There is no such virtue as temperance in spiritual feasting. To, to lay ourselves in the way of allurement. That is what these things are designed for. We saw that in Ephesians 2, that God has designed them. He has given to us. He has designed us for good works. We are his workmanship that we might walk in them. We are to do these things because we get more and more and more of him. The more we seek after him, the more of him that we get. We don't do these things to feel good about ourselves. By no means this idea of legalism that we were so, try to be so crystal clear about at the very beginning, why this is not that whatsoever. We already have that love of the Father. These things that we do so we can experience Him more. He is the greatest possession. In this whole context, we don't need to be greedy about possessions. We don't need to be anxious about getting more possessions. 
Man, one day when he comes, we, he, he will set us over all of his possessions. But today in the now, when it's hard to wait, we get him. How encouraging is that? And this whole idea of a wedding festival, Jesus uses this whole idea of a groom and a, and, and a bride all throughout scripture. In John 14, one through three, Jesus says it this way, this idea of him being our groom and us being his bride. He says this, don't let your hearts be anxious. Don't be anxious. This is, he's saying this at the Last Supper when he is about to go and lay down his life, when he's about to go away. He says, don't let your hearts be anxious. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, just like we talked about with that Jewish festival, that the man would go back and prepare a room. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I not tell you and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come and bring you back that where I am, you may be also. That's what it's about, this idea of a wedding and a marriage, of the lamps being lit, of looking forward to. We, we as a church, we as people, that is our duty. Not because we think God loves us any better, but because the more we look after him, the more we lay ourselves, ourselves in the way of allurement, the more of him we get. I love just studying in this Jew, these Jewish weddings to have this idea of, if you've ever seen one, you've probably seen it in movies, like when they get married, they'll uh, put a cloth and they'll put some glass or something in it and they'll step on them and they'll say, um, the word's escaping me now, but Mahayim, um, I think, or something like that. Mazel tov, yeah. So that's the word. So what that means is literally good fortune because what they're doing by symbolically in breaking that is showing that once a covenant is broken, it cannot be restored. So that covenant of marriage. But how great is it that we have the groom that has restored it? Even though we are broken, even though that we are the ones that have gone astray, that even though that our covenant with him was broken, he made an everlasting covenant with us in the person and work of Jesus on the cross. And because of what Jesus did on the cross and taking our sin and taking our lawlessness and taking our legalism where we want to draw close to him so that way we can be like Pharisees and look better to other people, he takes that and he restores that. And we're in this already, but not yet. Right now, he's in this process of sanctification in us. This idea of becoming more and more like him. But one day, the gospel is also a future. One day, he will come again, and he will restore all things. So this idea of being ready, the spiritual discipline of being ready, how beautiful is that? That is, we can't do this by ourselves. Does that make sense? We can't do this. The more we try to do it, the more our flesh will get in the way, the more we want to do this to look good to other people. But really the purpose of these things are not so we look good. It's so that way we get God and he gets the glory. He gets the glory by restoring the brokenness. He gets the glory by us even being, trying to be faithful and looking forward to him. You see, Spiritual disciplines like readiness are really for our good in his glory. So at this point, you may be thinking, okay, Kyle, I get that. Maybe I'm, I'm, I'm not ready. Maybe I don't look forward to the coming of Christ uh, that often. Uh, I, I just, what do I do now? What do I do? I think the first question that you have to ask yourself is, which, which servant are you? 
Are you the servant that is wise and faithful? Are you the servant that has been set in charge that you know the Father and you believe him and you're obeying because you already have that love? I would ask that. And if that answer of that obedience is not out of delight of laying yourself in the way of allurement, I would ask yourself, are you doing these things, these Christian things like coming to church, being part of Bible studies, being even part of a missional community, being ready, planting churches, whatever it is that you're doing, that good God-honoring things, are you doing those things to try to earn some favor that you already have? If you are, I'd start there. But if you can say that, yes, I'm, I, I'm doing, I, I'm trying to do those things because I know the Father loves me. I'm not trying to earn favor that I already have. Um, then that's when I would take a lesson from the wise and faithful manager. You see, he was wise. He knew what his duties were. So I would start by praying. So maybe pray, ask God, God, I, I know your word, I, I know you, I believe that you've saved me, I believe in Ephesians when you say you've created me for good works. God, what are those things that you want me to be doing? God, what are those things that you want me to be doing for my own good and your glory? But you see, that, that manager wasn't just wise, he was also faithful. He was full of faith. He understood that him doing that was not dependent on him, it was dependent on the master to be able to get it accomplished. But he was faithful. He did it. This is when we shared that quote at the beginning with John Piper talking about the opposite of spiritual discipline. That's what we start to see legalism today. It's this idea that we really don't have to do anything. Yes, that's absolutely right. Um, There's a quote by Martin Luther uh, that we'll put on the screen just to epitomize this idea. Uh, We'll throw it up here when it comes to the idea of salvation and the idea of works. Put as much difference between the righteousness of the gospel, that which saves us, and the law, the good works we're to do. As there is difference between day and night, if it is a question of the conscience or uh, faith or the conscience, ignore the law entirely. There's nothing that we're doing to earn that salvation or that love. It's already freely given. If it is a question of works, then lift high the lantern of works. We can't just simply shuck this off as this is something we don't have to do because we've been forgiven. We're created for these as well. So today, as the church, because we've been given this great gift of readiness, we're reminded of what Christ did on the cross for us. Because as we look forward to his coming, we remember that he first came, that he came for us, that he bore our sins, And on the cross, he took from us our unrighteousness and gave to us his righteousness so that way we could walk in good works. For him, not for us. For him, because he poured out his blood. He's the one who restores. He's the one who saves. It's by his grace. It's by faith in him for his glory alone. So as we take communion, we remember that his body was broken his blood was poured out, and that one day that this gospel that is past and present for us, that one day it will be future, and one day we will see him again, and that this flesh and this blood that we symbolically are taking of will be in front of us. We will get to see the holes in his hands and touch them. 
We'll get to see the hole in his side. We'll get to see our Savior face to face. And in that day, it has nothing to do about what we did. It has all to do about what he has done for us. And that, so we are here to get more and more and more of him. So I'll pray and um, we'll consider these thoughts. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that um, you have given us such things as spiritual disciplines, not for us to feel better about ourselves, not for us to make much of us, but to make much of you. This idea of being ready for your coming, it's all about you. It's about you coming. It's about you and what you have done and what you will do. So God, as we sit and contemplate, would you do only what you can do? Not, it's not up to our power. We see that it's not of works that we should boast. But God, would you empower us, the Holy Spirit, would you empower us to do these good things so that we would get more and more of you? Father, we are here and we confess that we are not ready, that we don't quite look forward to your coming with hope and expectation. Oftentimes it's something we get so busy with our day or so distracted by other things that we don't stop and we're not intentional with how we live our life. So Father, would you um, n not just convict us, we know that's what you, you do, Holy Spirit, but would you encourage the only way you can would you whisper truths into our heart of, of what you want us to do for your glory and our good? So Father, we're, we're grateful for your love. We're grateful that we freely have it. We don't have to do anything to earn it. Thank you for dying the sin for our sin, living the life we couldn't and, and rising again. So Father, we eagerly look forward to your coming again. God, as, as my great-grandmother always used to say, Lord just, Lord, just come. Maranatha, Lord, just come. That's our heart cry because, God, um, you can take this world and the possessions. You can take all of this. We just want you. So while we're here, would you give us more and more and more of you? And you make our heart cry more and more and more of you and less and less of you and less and less of us. So Jesus, thank you for loving us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.